You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. And we're live. We're going to let this stream kind of catch its breath really fast and make sure we got five green check marks. It looks like we're good to go. Mile high hello, everybody, in Broncos country, and welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I am your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and colleague. He is your Denver Broncos insider and mile high huddle senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, what's going on, my dude? Are you suffering with some of the smoke that's coming out of the, the western part of the United States right now, or is that just me and the rest of the lower 48? Um, I'm sure Southeast Alaska is dealing with it a little bit where I'm at, not so much, but, uh, yeah, we're just dealing with weather. I mean, we've had rain the last few days and it's really windy today. So if you guys hear some weird noise in the background, it's probably the wind. Just so you know, it's been blowing stuff around on our roof and causing loud noises and everything. But yeah, not, no, not, so, not nothing with smoke so far. I mean, I'm not want to say that it won't happen, but at least for now, we haven't had any problems with it, which I'm thankful of. Yeah, it's been pretty rough here the last few days. Uh, the sun is incredibly orange. It's it's harder to breathe. Um, visibility is down a lot. You can't see the mountains from my house anymore. Yeah. Um, it's 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 pretty rough around these parts. It's not so much smelly, but it, you can tell that the air is a little bit heavier, and you do kind of lose your breath. So bear with me a little bit, guys. I've been dealing with this for the last oh probably three or four days at least. But uh, Charlie coming in and catching any fe- fish, Eric, when you guys went out. Yeah, actually, uh, when as I said last week, I was going out fishing last Saturday. Um, our limit was 10 halibut. We ended up catching nine before we came back in. I caught three of them, and we caught a bunch of these ugly little boogers named Irish Lords. I don't know if that's the actual name of them. Ugly little things. Google an Im- image of them. They got spines all over them, and actually one of the guys we went fishing with cut their hand on it through his gloves. But yeah, we, I, caught, I caught three of the nine fish. Um, another guy with us, he was using octopus for bait, and he ended up catching five of the nine. And then, um, yeah, we did pretty well for it. Got some pretty good size ones, a couple 30-pounders, a couple 40-pounders. And then nice. we got one that was a little bit smaller, probably about 20 pounds. Um, but, yeah, we actually did pretty well using, you know, the little five-pound fish that Lance likes to catch as bait. So got some <laughs> real fish. Yeah. What's the average size on a halibut? Uh, I don't know the average size, but, I mean, there's uh, – we went out to Homer, and we're actually a day late because they do a derby for it for the biggest one. And a couple of years ago, the biggest one that won or the one that won was like a 200 pound halibut. Holy cow. Um, the guy I went with who's, uh, whose boat we went out on is he typically, he catches about 40 pounders. Typically he's caught a couple 80 pounders and he was telling me once he caught one, one fifty pounder, but sometimes you don't want them that big because the meat kind of becomes like a jelly. Right. And I mean, halibut meat's already very tender when you're cutting it. You have to be very careful. Yep. So it was, it was kind of an issue, and he said that the meat on that, that 150 powder they caught was absolutely no good. So, But, oh, I mean, every time I've gone out, I think the biggest one we've caught was a 50-pounder, was the oh, biggest one. That's still not bad, especially because they're flat, and it's like yeah. pulling up a sheet of plywood. Like, seriously, imagine pulling up a sheet of plywood as a suction cup yeah. to the to the ocean floor. Like, I can only <laughs> imagine that's got to be some, uh, some pretty tough work there. Now, guys – not to derail the podcast by talking about fishing here. And I'm glad you had a, a great time there, guys. We are the Dove Valley Deep Divers. We talked Denver Broncos football here. Uh, 
let's do some quick matters of business while we got a chance here. Um, let's see. Guys, follow us on Twitter at uh, you can follow me at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle. Follow the pod at DVDD underscore pod. Head on over to uh, my, at Mile High Huddle for instant breaking news and analysis on your Denver Broncos. And if you guys are in a, a financial place and are possible being able to do so, uh, hit up huddleuppod.com. Get your hat, get your t shirt, get your merch, whatever you want. Uh, face masks, coffee cups, stuff like that, whatever fits your fancy. If not, the three things that you guys can do to help support the show in the best way possible, actually subscribe specifically on YouTube and Facebook, subscribe to mile high huddle, like every video that you guys see. And uh, if you love it, share it. That's, that's another thing. And guys, uh, with the, with our new sponsorship going on here as uh, sportsbetting.com guys head on over to uh, sportsbetting.com. They're now live in Colorado, so it is legal to, to gamble and to do some sports betting in Colorado. Join today for a, a risk-free week of betting for up to $500. So head on over to sportsbetting.com, guys, sportsbetting.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. At my bookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Rejoice, because the NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action, use promo code OVERTIME, and double your first deposit. New players get up to 1000 bucks in free play, which is designed to add more excitement to the sports you already love and the games that you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie, and here's the best part. Overtime is going all in for our listeners. We're giving away 500 bucks cash to one lucky person who takes advantage of this offer. When you make your deposit, just take a screen grab of your MyBookie account and email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. 500 bucks given away at the end of September. Now, Eric, a topic of conversation that has not really been brought up, especially this last week with the Broncos losing to the Tennessee Titans, is what are they going to do against the Pittsburgh Steelers? What does their resolve look like? And how can they potentially go about winning a very difficult game on the road? We're talking 11 o'clock Eastern time, so this is an early morning game for the Denver Broncos. Kickoff to them would be about 9 o'clock in the morning. That's a very difficult transition when you're used to getting up, being able to go have breakfast and get yourself acclimated to the day. It's going to be very early for them as far as their body clock. Now, Eric, there's a lot of big things. We have five big keys for you guys to uh, to watch. Actually, both of us have five big keys that the Broncos need to do to pull off. Now, Eric, I'm going to let you start this off with number five. What is your number five most important thing that the Broncos can do to win against the Steelers at Heinz Field on Sunday? Score more points. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, is they need their offensive line to be aces uh, against the against the Tennessee Titans. Their offensive line was okay. Um, if you guys didn't know, um, I do my grades every single week, and for week one, Garrett Bowles was actually the MVP. He actually had a really good, clean game. Yeah, no holds. And when I really broke in, broke down and dig into his tape, once I got access to all twenty two, he had. Only one play that really could have been called for a hold. And even then, it was a little ticky-tacky for if it, they were going to throw a flag on it. And it was 100% done to protect Drew Locke. So 
uh, he, he played really well. He played a good game. There, I saw definitely a bunch of changes in his technique that he's using. Um, using technique that is really uh, employed by David Bakatiari and with the Green Bay Packers. And it's just one that with what Garrett Bowles does, it actually fits him and will help him out a little bit. And we saw some of that. And he's still learning it too. So he's definitely going to need a big game, but it's not just him. I'm more so looking at Elijah Wilkinson because C.J. Watt lines up on that that right side so often. He's got to really step up. Harold Landry had him beat him for a huge sack, and that's just something that you can't have. T.J. Watt, I mean, Harold Landry is no T.J. Watt. So got to watch out for that. But I'm also looking at the interior offensive line. All three of them didn't have the best game against the Titans, and the Titans have a okay defensive line. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons obviously is a star. But Daquan Jones on the yeah. interior doesn't isn't that big of a threat. And Jadavion Clowney, I mean, he rushed inside a couple times, but not enough to really consider him an interior offensive line or defensive line, I mean, and he's not. But the the interior defensive line for the Steelers is fantastic and it's deep. I mean, Cameron Hayward and Stefan Tuitt, both of them are expected to play. I mean, Tua had an ankle injury, but he's expected to play. And those guys are they're gonna be they're gonna be problems for this interior offensive line of the Broncos. And then you add Tyson Alulu as well and Isaiah Bugs for depth. And they have another key piece on their depth, too, that I can't remember who it was um, that has actually had – hold on, let me pull it up real quick. The, the biggest thing – I'm going to continue here so we don't have any dead air here, Eric. The biggest thing to me is with watching uh, – Dalton Reisner against Daquan Jones. And when he did go against Devian Clowney, he looked really bad this last week, guys. He was uh, allowing a lot of pressure up underneath, was not co- not consistently sustaining blocks in the running game. And if he's going to go against Cameron Hayward, who's one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL this year, like has been for the last you know three or four years, he's really going to have to step up. Lloyd Cushenberry, this is another big test for him and his second career start as the rookie off uh, the center of the offensive line, the pivot man. And Graham Glasgow, who had actually a really good game, I thought he played very well against Jeffrey Simmons. But still, I mean, Cameron Hayward and Stefan Tuitt, and Stefan Tuitt is uh, dealing with an injury as well. He is good to go, but he is dealing with, a, I think it's an ankle injury. I'm not sure off the top of my head. But the Broncos' interior of their offensive line is going to have to step up in a big way against this interior pass rush for the Steelers. And it's not even just the pass rush. It's their run defense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's where that's where the interior offensive line of the Broncos struggled the most at against the Titans was in the run in the running game. And, I mean, Cameron, Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tewitt, and Tyson Alou, they are all three really good run defenders. Yep. And then yep. the guy I was thinking of was um, was Carlos Davis and Chris oh, Williams. Yeah. Both of them yep. also provide really good depth for them as well. So yep. they can rotate them out. Very similar to the Broncos' defensive line. They're very deep. They're able to rotate them out. And we saw the Broncos rotate out a lot against the Titans. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. I think that the Broncos, obviously, their offensive line, they have to be aces in the passing game. But I think this is one where you really want them to be aces in, in the running game as well and open up those lanes on the inside for Royce Freeman or Melvin Gordon or whoever is going to be running, taking those interior rushes because Philip Lindsay's out, and that's what they really wanted him to do. So it's going to be tough on that, and this is one of those key matchups that I'm really keeping an eye on for. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that, especially in the running game, like you just said. I, I mean, Philip Lindsay being out, it's an extra dynamic to the running attack. But with with Royce Freeman, who does a lot of the th- the same things that Melvin Gordon likes to do, they're they're both very similar players in that aspect. You don't really have to change your game plan to get Royce Freeman onto the field, whereas you do with a Philip Lindsay. But still, the uh, especially I want to see what. Uh, what Garrett Bowles looks like against Bud Dupree in the running game because he yeah. was a monster against Jadeveon Clowney. And Jadeveon Clowney, to me, is a much stronger, longer, freakier kind of an athlete than Bud Dupree is. Bud Dupree has some more speed to him. But if Garrett Bowles can go and blow Jadeveon Clowney off the line of scrimmage like he did against the Titans, I cannot wait to see what he looks like against Bud Dupree. Now, my number five... Well, real quick, there's two comments I wanted to talk, address real quick. Okay. Is... Um, I'm not sure how you say how you say your name. I'm not going to try. We were talking about the Broncos interior offensive line struggling in the running game, not the defensive line. For the most part, they did pretty well. I mean, Henry holding to a 3.7 average, that's great, but he yeah. still averaged over 100 yards. That's that's the yeah. biggest thing is he still picked up over 100 yards rushing, which is a key to stopping the D, uh, Tennessee Titans because if you keep them under 100, their chances of winning drops tremendously. Like, and then Casey, like Casey Martin. Yes. And Casey Martin said the Steelers did a fantastic job on Barkley. They did, but that Giants offensive line is absolute garbage. Yeah, you guys think the Broncos offensive line is bad, especially even last year. Let's just talk about last year, for instance. That Giants offensive line is worse than what the Broncos had last year. They're absolutely god-awful. Now, anyways, uh, my number five uh, biggest key to the Broncos winning this game is in their secondary. And specifically when the play breaks down and and Big Ben Roethlisberger gets creative, and you all know what I'm talking about, where he dances around in the pocket, escapes some pressure, and he's taking these shots down the field. The Broncos cornerbacks, which is without A.J. Bouye, they brought Devontae Bosby up. You've got Bryce Callahan. You've got Devontae Bosby, obviously. You've got Essang Bassi, Michael Ojemudia. Those guys have to be locked down defenders. When the play breaks down, they're going to have to cover for a very long time against this wide receiver core from for, uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And a biggest thing in, in this is you have to stay consistent with your pressure schemes. You have to be able to keep Big Ben isolated within the pocket and get him down quickly if you can. And this is going to lead up to another one of my points. We'll just jump into it right now. Number four, take advantage of the injuries that the Steelers have right now, especially on their offensive line. Right right guard David DeCastro is out of the game with a knee injury. His backup, Stefan Wisniewski, came in and played against the Giants, started for the, against the Giants. He's out with a chest injury. That means rookie right guard Kevin Dotson is going to start his first game, and he's going to have to go against a big boy up front in Jarrell Casey. And now on the on his right-hand side is Zach Banner. Zach Banner is out with a torn ACL. He just got put on IR the other day. That means Chakuma Okorafor is going to start at right tackle, and he's going to have to go against Draymond Jones and Jeremiah Tauchu. That right side of the offensive line is very banged up, and there are some monster pass rushers coming for the Broncos. You've got Jarrell Casey inside. You've got Draymond Jones on the outside. Jeremiah Tauchu going to going to uh, rotate in as well. Malik Reed as well at times uh, to bring even more pass rush prowess to this Broncos defense. They have to take advantage of that absolutely have to they really do and i mean obviously no de castro that's a big thing but even losing their main backup to him like that can't be understated and Jarrell casey is not the guy that you want to be taking on in your first in your first game in the no. nfl no. not whatsoever 
And then a Chuk- uh, Chukuma Korafor is a guy that, when I was studying him before the draft, I noticed that he struggled a lot with power. And uh, it's primarily dealing with people, players who can convert speed to power. And that is something that Atachu can do fairly well. Yeah. So I, I really hope that he can step in and really, really have that welcome to the NFL moment against the Korafor and just basically make him make him pay. But the thing is, is when you get your hands on Big Ben, you got to bring him down. Letting yeah. him break those tackles, make plays is just not a good thing, especially with the questions we have about the secondary. Yep. which I'll get into a little bit more later because, spoiler alert, guys, that's one of mine is the issues in the secondary. But right. my, but it right. also does play into my next one as no turnovers or self-inflicted wounds. And there was multiple times against the Titans where the Broncos, they had were in a position to get a sack on Ryan Tannehill, but they let him escape. And one of those cases was, I think it was a Tauchu actually had him wrapped up almost, yeah. and he broke out of it, and Bradley Chubb was right there. And if Bradley Chubb dove for it, that is a sack. Or a sack fumble, one of the two at the very least. So you got to sit there and you can't have those self inflicted wounds. But more importantly, you can't have it where your rookie cornerback gets an interception and then your linebacker gets a flag for on that play. Yep. Or your running back that you just paid has a fumble when in what their own 30 yard line? 20 yard line. I can't remember exactly it was, where it was. It was but, it was about the 17 yard line and the and the, the the Titans recovered at the 22. They started that drive at the yeah. 22 yard line. Yeah, where they're in such a close proximity to their to the end zone. You can't do that. You cannot have self-inflicted wounds. Not against the Titans and especially not against the uh, the Steelers. And I think it was actually I think it was Nick who said this and I think he said it on Twitter is that the Titans were like the fourth or fifth best team in the AFC in his opinion which is something that I actually agree with. And the Steelers are probably right there in, at third. I mean, there's a clear-cut thing between, you know, the Chiefs and the Ravens and yeah. then after that. But, I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't have these self-inflicted wounds if you want to sit there and, um, and and compete against these teams. You can't. You can't shoot yourself in the foot, foot, especially if you're such a young offense like the Broncos are, especially when you have no preseason to sit there and install a new offense like the Broncos are are doing, excuse me, you you just can't. That's something that they've really got to work on. And, you know, it's going to take some time. So I will expect a couple self-inflicted wounds against the Steelers, just as I expect the Steelers to have a couple of themselves. I mean, no preseason games to get those wrinkles out. But Denver's got to watch it. They've got to be careful. And basically, they got to limit the impact of them. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. In case you missed it, sports gambling has been legalized in the state of Colorado. Whether you're looking to place your first wager or you're a seasoned betting professional, sportsbetting.com is the place for you. With sharp odds, a huge range of lines, props, and futures, and backed by state-of-the-art data security and encryption, sportsbetting.com gives you all the tools you need to maximize your sports betting experience. Sportsbetting.com is a legal and licensed sportsbook in Colorado, so with a fresh slate of games coming up in the NFL this week, plus the NBA playoffs, plus college football, you name it, head on over to sportsbetting.com and get in on the action. Yeah, the the self-inflicted wounds. And not only that, and I I really wanted to avoid this conversation because it's been hashed out a million times over, but I'm going to ask you a question here. What is your take on Vic Fangio right now and his ability to keep from the self-inflicted wounds in the coaching side of things? I mean, the, the Forget the timeout here at the, the end of the game against the Tennessee Titans. Let's go back to last year. You had the Chicago Bears where his defense wasn't able to uh, 
to stop the, the Bears from driving down to kick a game-winning t- a field goal. You had the Jacksonville Jaguars game where there was some clock mismanagement there. Indianapolis, the end of the first half, the Broncos had the ball in a four-minute drill, went three and out, gave the, the Colts the ball at midfield and let them kick a field goal to tie the game going into halftime. And then the Colts got the ball back after the half to go down and do it again. Like there's multiple times here where Vic Fangio is not only making bad play calls defensively, getting too conservative with his defense and not aggressive enough to go out and make some big key plays. But just the clock mismanagement, if you're going to do that against Big Ben and give him extra possessions, that's a self-inflicted wound. And if you give Big Ben an extra possession, especially in the second half, and especially after a key turnover or something something stupid like that happens, he's going to hit you over the top. And he's going to make you pay for it eventually. You cannot have these stupid coaching blunders that we've seen over and over again with Vic Fangio. What's your take on that? All right. I did a video on this, and if you guys haven't watched it, you can check it out on YouTube. Um, it's about Vic Fangio, and it's dealing specifically on this. And my biggest thing is, I, I'm willing to give him another game, but if he has an issue managing the clock again, he either A, has to give up defensive play calling to Ed Donatel, or yeah. B, they have to hire somebody to focus on game clock. Because the biggest thing for me was that after the game, in the press conference, I actually think it was it was Tuesday. Somebody asked a question about it, and Vic Fangio says he was too focused on calling the next defensive play. Yeah, yep. That that is an issue. Is and I understand that managing the clock that wasn't that led to their win, but I mean it wasn't the only thing. I get that. That is very true. The fumble, the penalty, the penalty on Alexander Johnson, this stuff, they all had an issue with helping them lose the game. But the fact of the matter is, is they were in a position where they could have still given their offense a chance and 72 seconds. That's how much time clicked off the clock because there's two opportunities for the Broncos to call a timeout. 72 seconds. I think Mike Kliss actually came on 104.3 the other day and he said that the Broncos wasted 52 seconds by not calling timeouts. 52 seconds. 72 72 seconds. Okay. Um, 72 seconds. Now they got the clock back. They got the ball back with 17 seconds left in the game. All three timeouts, and they had two timeouts left in the se- with with two seconds left to go. That's un- that. There's no reason for that. Now, what's better, two timeouts left or all three timeouts left with 17 seconds left on the clock, or one timeout left with what? Let's see here. 17, 89 seconds left on the clock. What's better? Uh, 89 yeah, seconds, guys. Yeah, yeah. Give me as much time as I possibly can because you can at least throw a couple of things over the middle of the field and get up and spike the ball. You can stop the clock that way. You don't have to burn that timeout immediately by a half. If you have 17 seconds, if you're tackled down in bounds, that timeout's gone immediately. There's no, you don't even get a chance to hold on to it. And then you're so limited because now you're forced to throw everything to the outside. If you have 89 seconds, that's a that's a minute and 29. That's a minute and 29 seconds with one timeout left. You can drive down the field, and all you need is like 40 yards. If you can get 40 yards, you can put Brandon McManus in a in a like a 45-yard field goal. If you get 25 yards, you're at the 50. Okay. And real quick is Chris Hernandez coming in with a $4.99 donation. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate that. And he says that I am concerned about clock management, more concerned about him not believing his trend. And this was in the group yeah. that you yep. I came out and I ranted about him not believing it is a trend. There were multiple games last year where the clock management yep. was terrible. Even games yep. where they won. That was that was me too. 
Like, it is a trend. And the fact that he can't see it really bothers me because there's definitely a question about accountability there and yep. self-accountability. And if your coach isn't going to take accountability for himself, then players aren't going to take accountability for themselves. One, one, we- take that I, one take that I want to put out here is the uh, – the, the 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 mantra that Vic Fangio came into Denver with was death by a thousand uh, death by death by inches is what he said death by a thousand paper cuts you can't continue to have a death by a thousand paper paper cuts over and over and over again and by not having accountability and taking responsibility for your actions and then not trying to fix whatever caused that action that's a lack of accountability issue and that is death by a thousand paper cuts that is death by inches so you also, have this mantra of coming in here and you're saying we're going to stop these stupid minimal mistakes that continue to get us killed in football games and you have five games guys five games it's the fourth game the broncos have lost in the first 17 under vic fangio where they lost a game with a lead under 30 seconds in the game and the fifth where they blew a fourth quarter lead that is on the coaching staff and you have to clean that up and if vic fangio can't get that cleaned up then what's going to happen with the locker room your mantra is death by inches is the locker room going to say well if you don't care about death by inches why should we yeah definitely and chris one last thing cheers to you too as well buddy yeah uh, and then, coming in here with a $5 super chat hit big Ben a lot. He can't move as well anymore. DeCastro is out for them. Drell Casey needs to show why he's a top tier lineman with no bond. I'm not sure what that means. Hashtag defense. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's like I said, take advantage of those Steeler injuries on the offensive line. You've got to get after big Ben. Yeah, go ahead. I would say the thing is that he, it isn't that he hasn't ever really moved well. The thing is that he's just so big and powerful yep. that he just shakes off attacks that yep. are, uh, pressures that's really all it is and i gotta say this too is like the best thing that showed that mindset is like i know it was a joke but it was that drill i think it was last year where he's in there he's back and they're throwing the uh the bags at him and he's just in there smacking them down with the football that's how he is on the football field is he just smacks away defenders and everything yeah that's just how he is I'm going to grab this one from Levi really fast because I'm not sure I've seen Levi on Dove Valley Deep Divers before. Welcome aboard, man. Thank you for joining us with the jumping in on Super Chat too, man. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, can Munchak or Shermer not help with time management since they've both been head coaches or is that stepping on toes? And it sounds the, the way that Vic Fangio kind of explained that was it sounded like it's kind of a conglomeration of everybody on the offensive. So like say the, the defense is on the field, the, the offensive coaching staff is supposed to be kind of helping out with the clock management they're talking back and forth and stuff like that so it it's really kind of hard for pat Shermer to be able to do something like that when he's coordinating and trying to figure out what he's going to do on the next offensive series so like that it's kind of a an oxymoron to want to have pat Shermer be the guy that's going to help out if the defensive the defensive units on the field and pat Shermer has to kind of scheme up his next series offensively mike munchak might be a guy there but he's probably going to be in the ear of pat Shermer saying hey this is what i'm seeing you know so you got to have some kind of an assistant coach somewhere or you know maybe an analytics guy like mitch tanny who is no longer with the broncos anymore like you've got to have somebody yeah, like that, that. You've got to have someone that can do that because all these other coaches that are on the field, they're worried about their position groups and they're trying to figure out what their position groups need to do on their next plays, on their next defensive series. You've got to find somebody. Like you have to yeah. find somebody. It, it, and if Vic Fangio is not going to be willing to dictate that responsibility to himself and take accountability for that role, again, death by inches, guys. There it is. That's that. That's the thing. And for me, is it's basically what Lance said is in that situation against the Titans, Mike Munchak and Pat Shermer, 
they're focused on what the offense is going to do their next drive. They're working on them. They know they're not going to have very much time left on the clock. They're working on the plays, what they want to do, how they want to attack the defense. They're working on their own thing. You don't want to pull them away from that to focus on the clock. If you want to do that, have Ed Donatel do it. Because guess what? Yeah. He's not calling the plays. Yeah. yeah. So and he's focused why, on what's why, going on on the field. He's yeah, focused so on what's going why, on on the field. The defense is on the field. That is why my two options for it is either A, Big Fangio gives up play calling to Ed Donatel, or they hire somebody for it, or have Ed Donatel sit there and be the one really chirping in his ear. Hey, call a timeout. Call a timeout. Call a timeout. Call a timeout. Got to have something to do. I don't think Mike Munchak or Pat Shermer are the answer to that. I think it definitely be Ed Donatel makes the most sense. It does, especially right. with their with their history together. They've been together yeah. for a long time. Uh, actually, Ed Donatel said something about that. Was it yesterday or today? Where he and Vic Fangio have coached in over two hundred games together, guys. That's that's a long time to be coaching together. They know the idiosyncrasies and how they communicate with each other very well, and that's why Ed Donatel is here as the defensive coordinator for Vic Fangio. They have a working relationship going back uh, going back over a decade. So yeah. if if you can't trust Ed Donatel to be that guy, Vic, as you're coaching and calling the defensive plays, then why not dictate that the defensive plays to Ed Donatel so that you can have them as the head coach and manage the team, which is literally line number one in your job responsibility. Okay. Literally line there, number one. Or even sit there and do have it the play calling where Ed Donatel calls the plays. But he runs them by Vic Fangio first. Yeah, yep. Like and that Vic even had... takes a little bit of the attention off of the calling the plays from Vic Fangio to where he can pay attention to the clock. Just something needs to change. It is a trend, despite Vic Fangio's refusal to admit it. Something's got to change here. Yeah. It's if if this happens again, then I think it's no doubt. And this kind of goes into a question that Casey Martin asked: Is how long does his leash? If this happens again, I think his leash gets a lot shorter. Yeah, because there's oh, yeah. definitely a bunch of people in the Broncos building that realizes this is a this is an issue, and it was an issue last year. And if it continues to be an issue, then the question is: Is Vic Fangio actually developing as a coach in this regards? He is in other areas. Don't get me wrong; he is in other areas. But this is one key issue that, as a coach, you have to be able to do. And one of my one of my favorite things about this is the lack of success a head coach has as the defensive play caller. Vic or Bill Belichick is the only one to really have success. And that was in 2011 or 2010, 2011 or 2011, 2012. I can't remember which, which two years it was where they went like 14 and two and like 13 and three. I think the two years, 27 and five, they had a top five defense in both of those years too. I know what you're talking about that. I mean, not only that they had, uh, I think what, Tom Brady. I mean, they got to have him there too. So, yeah, uh, you take the pressure off the defense. So it's so, and not only that though. Not only did they have the the quarterback to take the pressure off, Bill Belichick had the experience. Because guess what? Bill Belichick's first year that two thousand that year in two thousand, he called the defensive plays for the for the Patriots. They went five and eleven, and there are multiple issues with him managing the clock as well as calling the plays. So he handed over play calling to Romeo Cornell. Guess what? It worked out for them. Yeah, it did. You, and you, Ro- it, it, and it's just Romeo. not any time of being the play caller and managing the clock when yeah. you're on the defensive side of the ball. Offensive yeah. side of the ball, uh, there is a little bit more because obviously well, on the offensive side, the play clock matters a lot more how much time is left because you want to figure out how much time you have to move the ball. But yeah, it's just it's yeah. it's it's, it's, a, it's an issue. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Yeah, it is an issue. Let's let's get off of that though. It's like I said, it's been hashed out multiple times, and I, I'm sorry to bring that up, but still at the same time, like man, dude, that's that's that is part of limiting those boneheaded mistakes and those self inflicted wounds. Is is that conversation right there? Now, number three for me, and this is one that goes back to the Tennessee Titans game as well, and it actually goes back to the 2019 NFL draft, guys. And we're talking here Noah Fant versus the linebacker that the Pittsburgh Steelers traded up for with the Denver Broncos to go pick at number 10 overall, Devin Bush. Noah Fant has to have a big game here, and he has to be in, in uh, running routes against Devin Bush because Devin Bush struggled very, very badly last year against covering tight ends. He gave up five touchdown passes to tight ends, the most of any linebacker in the NFL. Now, remember, if you go back to this, Eric, Remember back before the 2019 NFL draft, everyone was pounding their chest. Vic Fangio's got his linebacker. Go get Devin Bush. He's going to be so good. <laughs> for all this. Remember all this? And he gives up so, five touchdown passes in his rookie season. To <laughs> that is what the that's what Broncos fans wanted them to do was draft him to cover tight ends. So the Broncos, instead of drafting him, they trade back with the Pittsburgh Steelers and they targeted Noah Fant. So what's going to happen here, Eric? To me. You watch what happened with Noah Fant last year. You watch what happened with Noah Fant on Monday, especially in the first half where he had five catches for like 80 yards and a touchdown. If he's going to go up against Devin Bush, to me, that's a matchup you absolutely have to exploit for the Broncos. You have to get Noah Fant involved in in the passing game, and you have to get him against Devin Bush because if you can get Noah Fant eight, nine, ten catches for 90 yards and a pair of touchdowns against Devin Bush, that validates everything that John Elway did by trading back with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hot take time, guys. So it's ironic that you mentioned the whole thing about um, Devin Bush and how well he did and everybody sitting there saying that he's going to be the guy. Because I have a video coming up, hopefully tomorrow is when I finish it and hopefully it goes up, hopefully tomorrow night, that talks about that. And that is basically the exact line I say, that heading into the 2019 NFL Draft, just about every Broncos analyst was projecting that Devin Bush would be the pick at 10th overall. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a key matchup for me. For me, it is the key matchup with the Broncos offense to the defense anyways, because Noah Fant can create so many mismatches and being able to exploit Devin Bush in coverage, guys, he played 100% of the defensive snaps against the Giants, and 48 of them, 47 of them, 49 of them, 40, a late 40, high 40, I mean, were in coverage. So if you can exploit him in coverage, then you can definitely have a good day about it. Before I get to mine, there's a couple questions here. David Bingham says, if this D is so messed up, how do they rank so high? Everything you said can be cherry-picked from any team. Let's see how they improve and forget hand-wringing. It's always job to deal with Fangio. Um, we're not saying the issues with the defense. The issue is with the play calling. And yeah. you later on say that Pete Carroll blew a Super Bowl call. Um, he didn't. He's never called the plays. Pete Carroll doesn't call the defensive plays. He doesn't call the offensive plays. He he doesn't. So no, he wasn't just, the one who actually a, blew the call. He yeah. voices his opinion very similar to what Vance Joseph did, very similar to what John Fox did, but he isn't actually calling the plays. So. Your comparison there doesn't really work. Vic Fangio is flat out calling the plays. He has input from Ed Donatel on what Ed Donatel thinks he does, but it's all 100% Vic Fangio calling the plays, deciding what to do. That is the issue. It's not the issue with the players on the field. It's the issue that Vic Fangio said, and he said it himself, that he was too focused on calling the next defensive play to call a timeout. Yeah, We have it, a couple of super chats here as well. Christopher D. Do 44 comes in with the dollar 99 says super sticker. 
Not sure what that is. Uh, maybe BC can explain that. I'm not sure. And then and Levi, Levi Hope with a $49.99 donation. Levi, thanks, man. We really appreciate that. that. Dude, um, he that's says, you amazing. fellas are great. Thanks for all the hard work you do. Hey, man, as, as I say all the time, is, and Lance says it too, is we love what we do. We really enjoy this all. But it wouldn't be worth it if you guys weren't here supporting us and all the stuff like that. And I mean, you guys are what makes us work, really. Yeah. Um, without you guys, we wouldn't have a platform, and we really are appreciative of everything that you guys do to help us yeah. out. And, yeah. And uh, all it's, that to, stuff. To me, it's not it like that was amazing. The, the amount of support there. You don't have to do that. That's not what we're in this for. <laughs> we're we're in this to to talk football and have fun with you guys and initiate some conversation and give our creative analysis and the the work that we do. And Eric does. 10 times more than I do. It just don't, don't ever forget that. Eric is the guy here. Uh, but this is what we, we started this podcast a little over a year ago, actually. And our whole mantra was to give good, detailed, deep dive analysis, hence the name Dove Valley Deep Divers. And it's taken off from there. And your guys' support on, on comments, on Twitter, everything, just you guys following us and, and listening to us. That's what we want. We want that more than anything, and we appreciate so, you guys all. So, real quick, there's one more comment I want to get to, but apparently, B says that the super sticker says "tired" with a cup of cup of coffee. That was from Christopher. Um, thanks, Christopher, for your donation as well. And then Charlie Beagle came in, and this is something that I re- actually wanted to address. He says, first half, no offense; second half, no offense." Um, the issue is, and I've seen this a lot, especially on M- uh, MMH.com, yeah. is talking about this. Is there is a big difference with or a big issue here? is Denver, you can't always stick with the hot hand. Um, teams typically start to bait that and look for a turnover, and that's what the Titans were doing. They actually yep. had Noah Fant in bracketed coverage. They had a linebacker underneath. They were just waiting for Drew Locke to throw the ball that way so the, Fant, or so the linebacker can jump Fant and pick it off. Um, that is a big reason why Fant wasn't involved as much. Um, and another thing, too, is that he just wasn't getting separation as often. He still did a few times. But not all that often. So he kind of took himself out of the game. But the Titans, the Titans more so than anything, took him out of the game. It wasn't the Broncos. They still wanted to go to him, but it's just a matter of just the opportunity wasn't there. And that's actually a good sign from Drew Locke that he was able to diagnose that the bracketed coverage on Fant and not try to force it to Fant and end up with an interception. That is something that is actually a huge step of growth that I saw watching this Titans game over compared to last year when he threw three interceptions. Or four, how many was it last year? Three? Was it three? I can't remember. However many that he threw, um, that he was a that uh, most of them were into bracketed coverage. And as Justin says, if Fanton's double teamed, then Sutton's one v one. That is another big issue too. Why the Titans were able to focus on taking Fant out? Yeah, there yep, was yep. no Cortland Sutton, as I said, there wouldn't be last Friday. Just tooting my own horn there a little bit. This week, <laughs> I think Sutton will play, and I think that that's going to be a. Um, it's going to be a little bit different. I don't think the Steelers will be able to go and take out Fant as easily without like Devin Bush having just a game of his life in coverage. Yep. Or that's, you know, that's a big thing player. is the the Broncos getting there, getting healthy at the wide receiver position because they got KJ Hamler is expected to return here too. That's going to tie into another one of my points here. But Eric, I want your number three. We got to move this along. So another guy in coverage who can step up and take Fant out, but is a guy that Drew Locke really has to watch out for. Mika Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I mean, oh, ever yeah. since he got traded to the Steelers, he's been playing excellent football. I mean, elite level football. Oh yeah, he's so he's so dangerous in coverage. He he's coming up against the run very well. 
I mean, he's he's just a threat that you have to account for him every single play. You have to watch out for him. I mean, Drew Lock has. I mean, as I said, Drew Lock has to account for him every single play. So that is a little bit of time pre-snap that Lock has to focus just to figure out what what Fitzpatrick is doing and what he thinks he's going to do and try to avoid that. And using Mika Fitzpatrick is a good way to sit there and take away like Corlin Sutton because he's just so dangerous. He sleeps on those or he makes quarterbacks sleep on those him jumping routes and then he jumps a route and boom, the ball's going the other way. Yep. Mika Fitzpatrick, man, he's he's really becoming one of the best safeties in there. And a lot of what he does reminds me of Ed Reed. Now, his play style is not the same, but how he gets the interceptions, his read of the quarterback, that is very similar to Ed yeah. Reed and oh, yeah. his ability to jump those routes and come up with the interception. This is a big test for Drew Locke here because one of the things that I want to see him working on specifically in this game, and it's something that we've seen him do often, especially in the past, and especially with Cortland Sutton on the field, is locking on to one guy. So he's going to have to work on his eye and sight adjustment here, guys. That means looking off Mika Fitzpatrick, looking to one side, throwing the ball back to the other side, making Mika, like dictating where Mika Fitzpatrick is on the field with his sight adjustment. So if he's not going to be able to do that, Minka's going to make him pay, especially if he's going to lock on to, to Cortland Sutton like he has want to do. He's always locking on to Cortland Sutton. It was an issue in training camp this year as well. We, we heard that a lot coming out of uh, Broncos country tonight, Ryan Edwards, Benjamin Albright. They said this is a big test for him, even going into the Titans game, where he didn't have Cortland Sutton to lock on to, and he started to, 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 to distribute the ball around, got Jerry Judy involved, got Noah Fant involved in the first half. When the Titans adjusted and they started taking away his quick read options and made Drew Locke hold on to the football, guess what happened? He started to get a little bit more finicky in the pocket, fading away from his protection, not being able to hit those throws, hit it hit, like throwing off of his back foot. He's got to stay in strong, use his side adjustment well, dictate where Minka Fat uh, excuse me Minka Fitzpatrick is going and get him away from the play so that he can take those calculated and measured shots down the field that the Broncos were actually trying to do against the Titans on Monday. Day. Yeah, real quick here, we got a definitely as B says, everyone drop a like. Um, we do have one here, and I really want to read this off because Lance, every other week you get to read it off. I want to read it off. <laughs> Eclipse comes in with a five dollar donation, says happy Thanks, Friday, man. deep divers and Broncos family. Just stop in to show some love. Hashtag state of being, definitely. Hashtag M H H U N. I'm not sure what UN stands for. United Nations. MHH and he United says, Nations. never fickle on the nickel, big pickle, Eric. Trickle. And Eclipse, actually, before we actually went live, we were yes. talking about it, <laughs> about changing my name for the, for this podcast to Big Pickle Trickle or Big Pickle Eric Trickle, all because of your donations, man. We always enjoy it when you stop in, and we hope you are having an excellent Friday night, as we both are. Yeah, man, this is a lot of fun. I'm, I was kind of excited when, so Chad actually messaged us a couple hours before the show, like, what's your guys' topic tonight? And I was like, you know what, let's do five big keys the Broncos need to have to beat the Steelers. And it's turned into a great conversation. This is absolutely asleep, guys. so much fun. <laughs> All right, so you've got your third one up. Why don't you go number two here? Um, actually, number two actually comes up with a comment from Levi, Levi, Levi Hope. And he says, do you think Simmons will show up this game? Well, my number two key for this is Justin Simmons needs to show up this game. Yeah. Now, Justin Simmons was completely abysmal against the Tennessee Titans. He was out of position multiple times. It looked like to me when I watched in and really dug into him with the All-22, that he was just trying to do just a little bit too much. Like, I have no doubt that he has a has a chip on his shoulder from not getting that extension. 
And I think that he was just trying to show the Broncos that they made a mistake, trying to do too much, trying to go outside of his role a little bit, and just it just didn't work out. And I and Denver needs him. They need him to step up this game. And for my number one reason, which I'll just get into here, lines, and then you can go to, is they really need him to step up to help take off the pressure of those deep passes and those deep shots that the Steelers like to take to Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, James Washington, and that talented group of receivers. Because my number one reason thing is they need to shut down those receivers. They need Michael Ojemudia and Asang Basi to step up and shut them down. And it's not one where you can just, oh, yeah, let's shut down Juju Smith-Schuster. Because you shut him down, guess what? Deontay Johnson's going off for 150 yards and three freaking touchdowns. You got to shut them all down. Justin Simmons is going to play a key role in that, but it's really going to come down to Michael Ojemudi and Asang Basi. Bryce Callahan, he's another one. He has to have a bounce-back game because, hey, it's great he made it through the Titans game, but he didn't play well. There is no doubt about that. He did not play well. He didn't play well in coverage. He didn't mm-hmm. play well in co- he didn't play well in coverage, but he no. did do a, a very good job as a tackler. Mm-hmm. I was very impressed with him, especially for his size to yeah, go out there yeah. and make. He had eight tackles. I thought you were going to say against the run, he did well. I was going to say no, eh, not so much. But no. as a tackler, yes, definitely he did. Um, so yeah, it really comes up to that. Actually, really sums up my last two points here is Justin Simmons. He needs to have a bounce back game. We saw he has that star potential last year. He needs to take that step and really achieve star status. He hasn't yet. That is one thing we're waiting on. Some of my predictions this season had him achieving that. The Titans game, man, it was a bad omen. I hope that it was just a one-off game from him trying to do a little bit too much. We'll see what happens here. I know Juju Smith-Schuster went stopping down these receivers. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson, they're both banged up a little bit. Um, Juju has a uh, knee injury, and Deontay Johnson has a toe injury, I believe. Uh ankle i thought no it is a foot injury excuse me it's, it's something with the foot anyways so hopefully that'll help denver be able to shut them down but without aj boye there's a lot of pressure as i said on michael ojimudia who he actually played really well against the time he did. i was actually away very impressed with him me too and it's a shame that deontay or that alexander johnson ended up with the penalty that took away his interception because that interception was a brilliant play by michael ojimudia oh he it read that absolutely so well. beautiful Oh, he read so. it so well and drove on the ball vertically, which is what you ask these these cornerbacks to do. Any outbreaking route to the outside, especially for your cornerbacks, you drive aggressively on the football and you go pick it off, which is exactly what Michael Ojemudia did. So, real quick here, we got another comment here before we get to your what last two, right? Yep. That I really want to address. It's from Facebook user. Sorry, we don't know who you are because of your settings on Facebook. We're not able to see what your name is and everything. But it says, but this person says the Titans have a great play action that kept us on our heels, a la Simmons play. It won't be the same on Sunday. Justin should play great. Um, the issue is, is that the Titans did something that I've been preaching for a long time now. They didn't use their run game to set up play action passing. They used their play action passing to set up their run game. Yes. Brilliant with them. And it worked. I mean, Corey Davis, he consistently was able to attack over the middle. The linebackers weren't able to shut him down. It worked so effectively. And eventually the Broncos had something to adjust to to stop that. And Derrick Henry goes off and has a great game and has a great rest of the game. I mean, his second, I saw somewhere, his second yard, um, half yards per carry was like well over four. I think over five, actually. I can't remember exactly. Great second half. And it's because they used that play action to set him up for the end game. Well, it worked. 
especially in the fourth quarter. They they got Derrick Henry on some good running lanes. He broke a couple of tackles. He didn't gash the Broncos, but it was just those steady jabs, that 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 right jab, the right jab, bang, bang, every single time, five, six, seven yards at a time. And it was never any, you know, you see Derrick Henry with those big 25 and 30-yard runs where he stiff arms a guy, jumps over another one, runs through another defender, and just rumbles downfield. The Broncos did a good job in limiting to that, like limiting that aspect of his game. But he's still, especially in the fourth quarter when things wore down, the, the Titans ran 72 plays, 72 offensive plays. And a lot of that was the inefficiency, the self-inflicted wounds that you were talking about of the offense in the third quarter. The Broncos ran six total offensive plays in the third quarter, guys. Like, you cannot have that happen. I mean, yeah, you got Jerry Judy with the killer drop on third down to open the third the, the third quarter. Um, and then the Titans go down on a 12-play drive and just milk the entire clock away. And then the Broncos go a quick three and out. The Titans go down, drive another field. They missed the field goal on the first. Had to, was it Shelby Harris blocked the first field goal? And then they had another missed field goal there at the end, or a touchdown drive, excuse me. And like still, the Broncos in the third quarter, they got so gassed, and Derrick Henry just leaned on them. And when you get leaned on with a 265-pound battering ram of a running back, you're eventually going to start opening up some holes. And they, that's exactly what the Titans did. They trusted their they trusted their game plan, attacked the Broncos in their play-action passing game, and just ran Derrick Henry down their throats, specifically in the fourth quarter. You, you can't have that. And that actually ties yeah. into my number two big point here, is limiting Big Ben on the play-action passing game and making him drive the field vertically. That is the teeth of the Broncos' defensive scheme and what Vic Fangio likes to do. Now, guys, we broke this down a couple weeks ago on Dove Valley Deep Divers, and I said that the Vic Fangio defense is extremely vulnerable on crossing routes, shots over the middle of the field within eight to 10 yards because everything bails back so vertically in that corner's defense. You want depth. Don't get beat over the top. You want to get beat underneath and come and rally and make the tackles, which is why we're seeing a lot of these long and sustained drives, especially at the end of games where Vic Fangio's defense is failing to get the big key stop that they need to close the game out. Now, What you want to do against the Pittsburgh Steelers is take advantage of the aggression that Big Ben Roethlisberger has with his right arm and taking those shots over like deep down the field. Because when you have that cover four defense and it switches to a quick cover two on the backside because you don't have a a seam threat, it turns into a cover two defense where you have Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons bailing hard to the outside. You can create a lot of turnovers against Big Ben Roethlisberger because he likes to push the ball vertically. It has to be on time, though. You can't allow him to scramble around in the pocket, break tackles on sacks and stuff like that, and extend plays because that's when his receivers start to break away from you and he takes those miscalculated deep shots, and that's the big plays we're talking about. I want to see the Broncos force Big Ben to throw over the top and use those deep safeties and get Justin Simmons involved into this game plan because defensively, that's going to be the biggest key for them. It really is. Now, offensively, and this is my number one key to the game for the Denver Broncos, if they want to win this game, they have to get 
the quick play, uh, the, the quick passing game going early and often, and they're going to get a jump. They've got Cortland Sutton coming back. They've got K.J. Hamler coming back. Jerry Judy showed the elite route running prowess that he had in week one and was open all over the field. The two drops were killers, but still at the same time, he was open quickly, early in the down, and very often. Cortland Sutton can do the same thing. K.J. Hamler with that speed can do the same thing. And why do you want to create this quick passing attack? You've got to stop T.J. Watt from getting after Drew Locke against Elijah Wilkinson. If T.J. Watt has a two- or a three-sack game against Elijah Wilkinson, this Broncos offense is going to fail against this, this Steelers defense. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, guys. We're talking you've got to have shotgun snaps, quick releases, quick three-step drop passing game with slants and crossing routes over the middle of the field. And if you can't get that going against this Steelers defense, especially with that ferocious front seventh that they have, there's no success going to happen for this Broncos offense. Because if you can get that happening where you can space some stuff out, get a nickel defensive package in there, that's where you're going to open up the running game. Like you have to get the quick play, the, the quick play action passing game as well, too. Quick play action passing game. But the quick passing game in general is the biggest key. If the Broncos want to win this game, they have to get Drew Locke and they have to get the ball out of his hands very quickly. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things you said on is was I can't remember now. Um there was one point you said that I really wanted to touch on. Was it the offensive side or the defensive side? It was on the offensive side. Just a quick um, passing game with getting the, the receivers back or what? I don't remember what it was. But we do have a couple comments here that I do want to do want to talk about. Daniel Sanchez says, hey, remember Big Ben is slow, bros. We can sack him and put pressure. It'll be a defensive game once again, but the Steelers are beatable. And then Christopher Do 44 says, we have no pass rush. That's not really true. The Broncos pass rush actually played really well against the Titans. A lot of it was on the interior, so we do need Bradley Chubb and Jeremiah Tauchu and Malik Reed to step up a little bit. Yeah, and they have an opportunity um, to. The issues that the, the injuries that the Steelers have on their defense, I think definitely opens them up for it. And then Lil Tonell comes in and says, if we had Chris Harris, Emmanuel Sanders, and if Vaughn wasn't injured, easy win. Um, I definitely agree with Vaughn. I don't agree with the Chris Harris and Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I think Emmanuel Sanders caused too many problems behind the scenes to really say that he would be an easy win. And Chris Harris and A.J. Boye just really canceled each other out. If A.J. Boye stayed healthy, I think then the game might be have a little bit of a different outcome. Um, and then the Pittsburgh's offensive line is elite, even without the right guard being injured. I wouldn't say they're elite. They have a really good left tackle. Their right guard's okay. Their center's ah. actually really is good when he's healthy. Yeah. And he's banked up, too, already. And that's something that we didn't mention. Both left the um, Andrew Villanueva and uh, Maurice Pouncey. Is he the one that's in Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's, it's Marquise Pouncey. Yep. Marquise Pouncey is um they're both of them, they're both of them are hit, are hurt. And both of them actually were questionable for the game at one point. They weren't sure if they're gonna play, but they had they had some good couple days in a row. Um David DeCastro being out, but then his primary back guards out, and Steven Wisniewski and Zach Banner is that right side is definitely not elite, even if they're all healthy. I still wouldn't say they're elite. The right guard is. But that right tackle, Zach Banner, he's just yeah, Zach Banner. Hmm. The, the one thing I want to dispute on you is Alejandro Villanueva. One thing, just quickly, uh, he, I don't think he was nicked up. I think he had an illness earlier this week, and they they was held him out of practice. Yeah, I so just saw that he, he should, missed one day of practice. Yeah, he did miss. He missed, missed Tuesday, I think, is what it was. Tuesday or Wednesday. But uh, that's that's not the point I wanted to get at. Alejandro Villanueva 
Guys, we're talking – if you want to talk about inconsistency at the left tackle position, yeah. talk about Alejandro Villanueva really fast because that guy is not good at times in pass protection, and he is really not good in the running game. Like, he, he gets a lot of credit for what he is. An undrafted free agent that was an Army Ranger that came back and plays in the NFL. Like, that's the story for Alejandro Villanueva. And he won a job because Mike Munchak molded whatever he could out of him and using Big Ben in whatever quick pass passing game that they can get. Villanueva does a very good job there, but let's be real here, guys. Alejandro Villanueva is not nearly as good in pass protection as Garrett Bowles is, and if you have a problem with Garrett Bowles, you're going to love watching Bradley Chubb go against Alejandro Villanueva here today, on yeah. Sunday, guys. Like, it's just, this is point-blank facts. And one comment I missed was the Facebook user earlier was Andy Rock Lovato from Kansas. Oh, what's up, Andy? We all we always appreciate when you're showing. We're not sure why your name's not showing up this time. Normally it does for us. Um, let's see here. There's a, I know there's a couple other questions here. Um, how healthy is Chubb from Kenny? Um, Chubb seems to be pretty good. Uh, he said that he was feeling fine after the game last uh, last Monday night. We'll see how he's going. He's, he should be good to go. I'm thinking he'll be, still be on a snap count anyways. Um, but Denver definitely needs him to play a little bit better than he did. There were some inconsistency issues, which, of course, after missing 12 games last year, that's not surprising at all. Yeah. Levi, jumping back in on Super Chat, man. Thank you so much, dude. This is awesome. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Why is DeMar Dotson not replacing Elijah at right tackle? And, Eric, I really don't have an answer to this one. I I just – I don't. Other than Elijah Wilkinson is the incumbent from last year and he was handed the starting job at like in training camp. They had to bring on Dotson, who's 34 years old, 35 years old, something like that, by the way. Um, and they had to bring him on slowly. He didn't have a very good time acclimating to the Denver altitude. I do know that was an issue. Um, but this might be the game, really. I mean, it, we were talking about it earlier in, in training camp. It might be two or three weeks before we see DeMar Dotson. If Elijah Wilkinson struggles against TJ Watt, which, I mean, is like 75% possible that it's really going to happen where TJ Watt's going to have a two or three sack game, you might see DeMar Dotson playing on Sunday at the, like in the second half. You really might. Like This, this could be the time where we're going to finally get rid of Elijah Wilkinson at right tackle and put him in his swing guard position where he's supposed to be. Yeah, I think that the reason why they haven't made the change just yet is they want to see if Elijah Wilkinson can come into his own. And one issue last year that he had was that going into every Sunday, he didn't know if he was going to be the right tackle or not because they didn't know the status of Jawan James. He was a game-time decision for so many weeks in a row. They want to see if he can just kind of come into his own. I think this week will be very telling for him. I don't think that they will make the replacement at halftime. I'd be a little bit surprised if they do. But I wouldn't be surprised if they start discussing it after this game if Elijah Wilkinson struggles against C.J. Watt. Manny White says, talking about Big Ben, he cannot really run around like he used to. Um, it's not that. It's, it's not that he really runs around. He's not like – is. It's it's never been that he's run around. It's that he just breaks through pressures. People get their uh, – defenders get their hands on him, and he just breaks through it because he's so big and powerful. That's what it was. And, we, and this should be very well known to Broncos fans because – Big Ben, for some reason, was often the comparison for Paxton Lynch. Oh, he's so big and powerful. He can break through pressures, which one good thing about Paxton Lynch was that he actually did do that kind of well. Yeah, he did. Which that comparison to Big Ben is actually a pretty decent one. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not that he moved around really. It's that he just broke through guys, and he still can do that. He showed that against the Giants. He did actually uh, had a, had a couple of sacks where he was where he was in the grass and broke out and made plays down the field. And that's like I said, that's the biggest uh, number five key to me is uh, those when when the the protection breaks down and they do get Big Ben in the grass, they need to limit his effectiveness throwing the ball down the field. They got to lock up tight right there. And it's again, it's it's not Big Ben running around and dancing around the pocket he's no Deshaun Watson he's no Russell Wilson he's a six foot five 260 pound quarterback that is a literally I mean they named a clock after the guy yeah <laughs> not I really mean, he, but. I mean I mean Russell Wilson Dakota Watson I mean obviously like or Deshaun Watson I mean sorry um obviously he's not them but I mean he's not even Aaron Rodgers yeah he's, he's What's the best way to put this is he's not quite Peyton Manning either because Peyton Manning just used subtle movements to maneuver and get away from pressure. Didn't really break through guys. Um, There's really no one that is an apt comparison for how Big Ben really moves around it. And as Bonabee said, just make sure you guys are giving us a follow at Lance Sanderson at Trickle MHH or at Sanderson MHH at Eric Trickle. Um, Casey, Casey coming in here and, and just pointing out to everybody, uh, Big Ben had 229 yards passing, three touchdown passes, and 117 passer rating last week. Well, he can still play. Let's see. What, I, I'm right. really curious to see what he can do against an actual defense. Not That's the, true. That's true. Um, but, no, there is still no doubt that Big Ben showed it, even against even though the Giants' defense isn't that great. He still showed he can play. He deserve. He still belongs out there on the football field. Father time hasn't. I mean, he's catching up to him. He's not as good as he once was, but he can still play. Yeah. And then um, Andy Rock comes in and asks another question: What does where does Locke excel more, shotgun or under center? Shotgun. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the footwork under center is just a little, so a little bit rough for him. It's improving. It's improved from last year, but he's definitely he definitely is better under in shotgun where he can read the defense, see more of the defense, and just just see more. I was going to say that. And also, I mean, go back to what Drew Locke did at Missouri. They ran a spread offense back there, and he was in shotgun like 65 75% of the time. They they rarely ran under set. Actually, 65 75 like 85 90% of the time. He was in shotgun. Like That's what he does best. So, yeah. and, and honestly, going against, the, like I said earlier, going against this Pittsburgh defense that has a really scary pass rush, especially coming off the edge, getting him in shotgun and using that, that a quick three-step drop out of shotgun where he can hit some slants and crossing routes to Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. If they like, that's gotta be a big thing. Jim, thank you for that. Click those little thumbs up guys, please. Absolutely. As Chris Hernandez is want to say, click those little thumbs up. Now, Eric, I do got a question here. Uh, we're at 58 minutes. So we'll ha- have to answer real, real this quick, last. You get Can I pull up something? Many wise. I'm not sure what you mean. The playoffs. I would beg to differ. I'm not sure what you mean by that. If you want to clarify it in the chat, that'd be great. Okay. What's your question? So Eric, Joey Grubbs coming in on here on Facebook, and he asked earlier if we had any predictions for this game. And actually, go to milehighhuddle.com right now, guys. We actually do have our predictions and our uh, so our, our game predictions and score predictions on milehighhuddle.com. The entire uh, staff did a did our typical weekly roundtable that always does air on on Fridays as well, guys. But Eric, how many points is it going to take to win this game? Are you saying thirty? Because that's what I'm saying. Going off my prediction, forty three. <laughs> yeah, so what is your this game is actually going to turn into an offensive shootout? Um, Denver's going to score 38. Well, the Steelers fo- score, I think, 42, might have been 41. Um, so I got it pulled up. Hold on, I'm scrolling down to where you're at. I can, I can actually see that happening. I mean, both teams they have the 
the weapons on offense to attack the defense and really move the ball and air it out. Um, if it becomes a defensive game, I think Denver will need to score at least 24 points. I think on a defensive game, that's what it'll take at least because I think those Steelers will be able to put points because they have some big potential for big play. We do have a couple of super chats before we get out of here. Chase Waldner donated $5. Thank you, Chase. We always Thanks, Chase. that. says, hey, guys, I know you might have mixed feelings on PFF. Oh, definitely. No doubt about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it. Um, working for them. Oh, yeah. I definitely have my issues with PFF. But do you agree on polls being our highest graded OL last week? Yes. Um, I actually yeah. mm-hmm. talked about this earlier. Is My MVP video for week one is actually up on YouTube. And Garrett Bowles was actually the, was the MVP for the game. He was the highest graded player on both offense and defense. And, yeah, he, he played a great game. I definitely agree that he was the best OL last week. Dalton Reisner struggled quite a bit. Lloyd Cushenberry struggled quite a bit. Elijah Wilkinson was solid, obviously, minus the sack. And Graham Glasgow was okay, not great, not bad, just okay. Garrett Bowles is definitely the best offensive lineman. Well, Graham Glasgow was really going a lot of one-on-one against Jeffrey Simmons, too. So, like, take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Yeah, he looked okay, but he's going against one of the best young up-and-coming interior defensive linemen as far as a run stuffer and a pass uh, and a pass rusher in the NFL. Last year, he was coming off of a torn ACL like in his rookie year. He had a torn ACL at Mississippi State, right? I think that's where he was at. Can't remember. Uh, anyway, so he had that torn ACL going into the season, and that's why he ended up slipping. He could have been a top 10 pick. Slipped to number 19 overall right in front of the Broncos and was recovering from that torn ACL. Played fairly, fairly decently last year, but everyone's expecting a big jump from Justin Simmons, and he played very well, and Graham Glasgow held his own. So you can't really ask much more from that. He gets another big test in Casey Edward this week, so – um, Holden Adams coming in here with a $5 super chat. Uh, sorry, late to the live pod. What's our plan to help out our young cornerbacks against big Ben. Thanks for all you guys do Denver Broncos for life. Thanks Holden. We appreciate you for joining us, man. Even though you're late, that's fine. Uh, check us out after the fact this, this goes up live on YouTube right after we are done recording. So you can go back and watch and check out our takes on that. I will say that's, that's true. Um, <laughs> anyways, I just, the, the short answer on this one is one of my biggest keys is taking advantage of the injuries of this the Steelers offensive line and generating a quick and lethal path pass rush with uh Jarrell Casey Draymond Jones and Jeremiah Tauchu against their right guard who's a rookie and Shakumo Okorafor who as Eric said earlier struggles with speed to power guys which is what Draymond Jones and Jeremiah Tauchu can do very well so if you're going to have a chance to help out your young quarterbacks you've got to get big Ben Roethlisberger on the ground quickly and efficiently and don't let him take the I want him to throw the ball deep just because it's into the teeth of this defense but you can't let him stand back there all day because he's going to pick you apart if he's doing that you got to hit him you got to get him flustered you got to get in his face and if you do so your cornerbacks are going to have really appreciate that that's probably the biggest thing that the Broncos can do yeah um as he said it's like you just got to put pressure on him um, getting early pressure helps take away those early throws for, and also forces the quarterback to rush a little bit. You got to do that. Got to force Big Ben to make some quick throws. And hopefully the corners are able to last long enough in coverage to just take advantage of that. And then last thing before we get out here, since Manny White, I did ask Manny White to clarify. So in the playoffs, the touchdowns they scored were off plays. Ben ran around and found the open guy in the end zone. Um, I don't remember that. I know he can't. And I, I shouldn't have said that he's not really a mover. But I mean, that's not what he's known for. Yeah, he, he no. can do it, 
But he's, what he does, how he escapes pressure, is just breaking through the tackles. That's what he does. That's what he's known for. He can move around just as every quarterback can move around a little bit. Peyton Manning can move around. I would say in terms of him being a being able to move, he's closer to Tom Brady and Peyton Manning than he is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. And, I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson. Like, here's Big Ben. Russell Wilson are way off the screen. Um, so, obviously, it's not even close for that. But, um, yeah, it's just – it's not what he's known for. That should be the best way to put it. Not yeah. what he's known for. He can do it, not what he's known for. And another example of that is Melvin Gordon is not a power runner. He can do it, just not what he's known for. Yeah. Charlie Beagle coming in here with a very astute point. He's no Lamar Jackson. Let's just say that. He's not going to scramble around. Like that's that's not what he does best. He can, he can get out on the move. And it, that's that's another thing. You gotta you gotta contain the uh, Ben Roethlisberger in the pocket. That's the, yeah. the one of the biggest things. Contain him in the yeah. pocket. Don't let him extend plays with his legs and break tackles and break out of sacks and then throw the ball deep like he usually does as you're very astutely pointing to there, Manny. But at the same time, if you get him on the ground, you wrap him up, get his arm, get his arms down to his sides where he can't just quick flick of the wrist because he has the arm strength to make pretty much any throw. I really want to see him push it right now, though, with that elbow injury coming off of last year. Like, I want to see what yeah. that looks like because, dude, again, if, they, if, they has to, if he has to push the ball vertically against this defense, he's going to get turned into some – forced into some turnovers. And I'm, I'm kind of excited. Guys – before and we get out of here, quick, my one there's, sorry, there's one more question comment I want to take real quick. PD PDKJXG says Bradley Chubb needs to go back to defensive end. I'm telling y'all, he does. He's going to be if he does, he's going to be like Aaron Donald. Um, Bradley Chubb still plays defensive end. Yeah, Aaron Donald plays defensive tackle. That's that's what he plays. He's he's he plays defensive end. Now the difference is is that Bradley Chubb plays a a two point defensive end position instead of a three point defensive end. And Aaron Donald doesn't play defensive end. Well, he does, but he doesn't. He's an interior defensive lineman. He plays that 3-5 tech role for the Los Angeles Rams, what he's always done, and he's in a three-point stance. Um, and, yeah, I mean, comparing the two, like, that's not really right. They're two very different style of players. Um, Bradley Chubb's a defensive end. That's what he's playing. If you're meaning that he needs to put his hand back in the dirt and go back to a three-point stance, um, he does just fine out of a two-point stance. That's what he did most of his rookie year. He did it extremely well. Um, so what he did last year and he, before he got hurt and he was looking showing a lot of promise there, despite the lack of pressure, which did a big part of, um, was a due to that the corners just weren't able to st- sustain early coverage and teams just went to a quick passing game. But, um, yeah, he just, he, he plays defensive end. He doesn't play. He's not a linebacker. Bob Miller is a rush linebacker. Bradley Chubb is a defensive end. Yeah. Yeah, no, very astute points there. All right, guys, that's going to have to do it for us. But before we get out of here really fast, the Broncos do have a chance to win this football game. They really do. I, I mean, as as the points we we outlined, there, any given Sunday is the biggest thing. Any team can win on any given Sunday. It's a very famous saying. But with the Broncos lining up very well with what the weaknesses of the Steelers' defense is and with the weaknesses of the offense, the, especially the offensive line, if the Broncos can take advantage and exploit those matchups, they actually do have a chance to win this game, guys. One and one might be possible. I'm gonna and, I, I can't trust it right now. I really can't, but it would not surprise me to see the Broncos go into Pittsburgh and upset the Steelers. It really would not. I'm still gonna take the Steelers 
this week, guys. Unfortunately, I see the Broncos starting off 0-2, but there is a chance. There really is a chance. Yeah, and guys asking about Albert O. Albert O is just so limited. And also for week one, he was still battling back from injury. That's yep. the biggest thing as to why he was inactive. He was still working back from injury. Um, but when you put him in, you're just limiting your offense so much. Um, you're not teams know that you're not going to use him as a blocker. That's the biggest thing is while Jake Butts, Jake Butt isn't a the best blocker, he can still be effective there. That's why he's being active, yeah. um, being used and everything. Uh, I get wanting to see um, Albert Okwebenam in the red zone. I get that. But the thing is, is that you still just completely take out any mystery of your offense whatsoever the moment you put him on the field. Because yeah. he can do one thing. He has a niche role. That's it right now. He still needs a lot of development to go. And coming back from injury against the Steelers may not be the best time to play him, guys. Like, come yeah. on now. Like, maybe uh, maybe week three. Especially against yeah, his front definitely. seven. Especially yeah. against this front seven that does so well uh, stuff in the run. Anyways, guys, that's going to do it for us tonight on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. Thank you all for joining us once again. You guys can follow us on Twitter by finding me at Sanderson MHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle. You find the show at DVDD underscore pod. Go to Mile High Huddle at Mile High Huddle for instant news and analysis, film articles, opinion articles on your Denver Broncos. It's also the easiest way to keep in tune with what is going on on the Huddle Up podcast network, including building the Broncos, Mile High Insiders, and the Huddle Up podcast. If you guys are financially able to do so, head on over to huddleuppod.com. Get your swag on. That's the merch tent, guys. That's where you get your hats, your T-shirts. I got a new T-shirt coming up here. Actually, it's a long sleeve shirt this time. Valley Deep Divers new swag coming up here soon, guys. Um, so head on over at huddleuppod.com. Check that out. If you guys are not financially able to do so, subscribe wherever you guys are watching this, specifically on YouTube and on Facebook as well. Subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video you guys see. And if you love it, share it. Get it out into as many Broncos fans as you possibly can. It's the easiest way, most organic way you guys can help our show grow and get to, into as many Broncos fans as humanly possible. Now, Eric, any plans before we get out of here? Any plans for the weekend? Um, probably continue drinking. <laughs> <laughs> before Eric, the, after dark, Before the guys. show and during Eric the show, after after drinking, guys. Um, <laughs> probably upon not keeping drinking. Keep drinking a little bit. Um, no, I'm just gonna go spend time with my daughter and my wife. Yeah, uh, really uh, get get some stuff done for the site. Hopefully, a couple of YouTube videos coming your guys' way. Probably tomorrow at the latest. Uh, maybe early, maybe Sunday. But with the game being early, I don't know. Um, hoping for a Broncos win, but like Lance, I'm not seeing it. I think the Steelers just outmatched them in some key areas that are gonna go against it. Yeah, but guys, I hope you all have a wonderful Friday night. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. And I hope the Broncos – I hope next week we're talking about the Broncos trying to get to 2-1 and one instead of 1-2. and two. Yeah. No, I've got uh, I've got a football game for my 12-year-old son, Jace, on Saturday morning, and that is actually well-timed by this the school uh, scheduling staff because it's also opening day for my antelope hunting tag. So I'm going to go antelope hunting this weekend. So, uh, well, good luck. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. It's going to be a great time to go hang out with the folks for a little bit. Let them hang out with Jace as well. He's going to come with us. So uh, it's, hopefully we get something knocked down. I mean, it's always great to uh, uh, 
always great to fill the freezer and take care of your family and, and, and have fun that way. So anyways, yeah, guys, this is currently full of fish. Hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> all righty guys. That's going to do it for us tonight. You all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. Go Broncos. Check out mile high insiders tomorrow night, Nick and Luke on the broadcast. We'll see you guys later. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.